Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to be your host, where I get to introduce listeners to inspiring women who are making a real difference. With our podcast, you'll hear inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges our guests have overcome, how their backgrounds help to shape who they are today, and how they empower others, giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. And speaking of the world, joining me today is Gloria Felt, who is an icon when it comes to empowering women. Gloria has done it all. She successfully ran Planned Parenthood, both regional chapters and the national group. She is a best-selling author of four books, and she co-founded Take the Lead Woman, an important organization that aims to create leadership gender parity by 2025. And she's a college professor. And by the way, she's raised a family of three. So we were talking to a powerhouse. Enough from me. Let's go directly to Gloria. Gloria, thank you for coming. Thank you, Linda. I'm really happy to be here with you. Thanks. And, you know, you have such an incredible background, not to mention the fact that you have reinvented yourself several times over. Could you just share with our listeners a little bit more about your background and maybe just touch on the core values that were instilled in you as a child? Sure, absolutely. I always laugh when people say I'm an icon because I, what that means is you've been around a long time. So, <laughs> I, so I, I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot to tell, but I will try to not make it too terribly long and detailed. I actually grew up in small Texas towns, and I start with that because very often people think, oh, you're a sophisticated New Yorker. Well, mm, probably not. You know, <laughs> this is a long journey to get here. It was in a culture where women weren't really encouraged to have careers. And in fact, what we were encouraged to do was to be the support system for everybody else. And I must say that I, and partly this is so funny because it was partly because I was rebelling against the fact that my mother did work. She did go to the office every day with my father. And she was the office manager of their business. And so I, you know, I, I was so embarrassed that my mother was the only one who did that of all of my friends. <laughs> so my rebellion was to want to be Susie Homemaker and to live behind a picket fence. I married my high school sweetheart. I had three kids by the time I was 20. And then I woke up. Then I woke up. And I think it was partly maturity. I don't know what else it might have been, but my son still refers to himself as mom's light bulb. (laughs) You know, I just kind of the light went on at that point. And I started to college. I was living in Odessa, Texas. That was the, if you're a Friday Night Lights fan, it's real. It's for real. It's really a thing. My kids all went to Permian High School. And, you know, it was a kind of a hard scrabble, West Texas culture. But what I learned from that experience is that it doesn't matter where you start, just start wherever you are, just start. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it took me 12 years to finish college, but it was good in a way that that happened because I did have some part-time jobs. I taught at Head Start. I did a few other things. And mostly what I was able to do was to get involved in some community service activities. And one of those was the civil rights movement organizations related to the civil rights movement. And what I learned from that was two things. Number one, people working together, even if they don't have formal power, can change anything. And number two, I noticed something. I noticed that the women were doing all the work and the men were in the leadership roles and getting all the credit. Uh huh. And that was the other light bulb. That was the other light bulb that went off for me. It was, oh, wait a minute. If there are civil rights, then women must have them too. 
And so that was at that point that I started getting involved in things that would help advance women. And therefore, even though I have done a number of things in my life, it's all been one unbroken thread of advancing women to full equality in society. So I went back to school when the University of Texas opened a branch in Odessa. And (laughs) this is a serendipitous story that is also has a message in it. And the message is just say yes, because the last course that I took was ecology. And I did a paper on a new little organization in town called Planned Parenthood. I was introduced to it by one of my teaching colleagues at Head Start, who was on the board and had done a little volunteer work for them, but not much. And But I kind of knew about it. So I decided to do my term paper on this organization to see what they were doing and what their results were. And I did my paper. That was the end of that. And two weeks later, the executive director, who I had never met before, but who I interviewed for my paper, called me and said, I am leaving. I think you should submit a resume. And I thought to myself, well, I'm totally unqualified. I know nothing about healthcare administration. I've never run an organization before. I'm planning on being a teacher. I was going to be a high school social studies teacher. So, you know, I have nothing to lose. It'll be good experience to put a resume together and go for an interview because I'm going to have to be looking for jobs now. So um, so you just said yes. <laughs> so I, yeah, I said yes. I went for the first interview. I was called back for a second interview. I was offered the job. I said yes on the spot for whatever reason. And the rest, as they say, is history. And 30 years later, I retired as the national president. So there you go. You just never know where life will take you. Exactly. That is an amazing story. What was the biggest lesson that you learned from your time with Planned Parenthood? I guess the biggest lesson that I learned was can be encapsulated in one of the nine leadership power tools that I created for the training work that I do with Take the Lead. And actually, I created it when I was writing the book, No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. And it's that there's always controversy around any organization that's working for social change. And goodness knows that an organization that is helping women have equality in the sense of being able to decide for themselves whether and when they're going to be parents. And that's a world changing thing if you think about it. You know, it's like this is like historic. Absolutely. So what I learned was from a conversation that I had with some young women who worked in well, this is when I was in Arizona and I was the CEO of the Planned Parenthood affiliate in Arizona. And we had a small clinic in a little rural town and I was visiting with the three young women who worked in that clinic, and they said to me, every day before we go home, we have to decide whether to leave our Planned Parenthood shirts on that we wear in the clinic or take them off and put on our our regular street clothes, because if we have to stop for gas or get milk or whatever, do we want to have to get into a conversation about what we do? And I said to them, that is probably the most important time for you to wear the shirt. Ah, okay. So wearing the shirt of your convictions became a metaphor for me of this is what is important. It's the most important thing for a leader is to know who you are and what your values are and what you value so much that you will walk away from a job or you'll walk away from a decision or whatever if you have to violate those values. And once you get clear about that and you know who you are and you know what drives you, then you can do anything. And because you have the courage to know that if it doesn't work out, you'll go do something else. Right, right. 
That's a great example. So your experience has obviously helped in, and you wrote a number of books, but can you tell us a little bit more about No Excuses and, and why is it nine ways that women can change how we think about power? <laughs> it just happened, just turned out to be not, <laughs> not meditated at all. So here's the way it happened. I mean, basically, I was still in my advocate mode, my advocate head framework when I wrote No Excuses. And the backstory is in 2008, early 2008, at the moment when it seemed like we were going to have our first woman president for the first time, mm. if you remember that time, a magazine asked me to write an article about women running for office. And they thought that the story was going to be that with a woman who probably was going to be at the top of a national party ticket for the first time, that women would be feeling very energized to run for office. What I found was that now remember this is you know this is over a decade ago because that has changed now many more women are running for office and it's wonderful to see that but we still aren't anywhere near parity in elected office as any place else so what I found when I was writing that article was that the story was women didn't run for office, they were half as likely as men ever to even consider running for office and if they did consider it, they often would say, well, first I need to learn things. First, I should take some courses. I should work in some campaigns. I should do this. I should wait for my kids to grow up. And by the time they would finally run, if they ever did, the incumbent was already entrenched and it's very hard to beat an incumbent. So I was shocked to learn that 50% statistic. And I, as I looked around and looked at the other data, I found that the same was true for every single profession, every sector, that women had been stuck at under 20%, basically about 18% of the top leadership in every single sector in our entire economy, in our entire country. I mean, that's mind blowing. Why is that? So that's what I had to find out. That's what I decided to look at because as somebody who had been, you know, been part of opening doors and changing laws, there really were no formal impediments to women getting top positions in any area. And so I decided to look at the studies about that. And I found that many of the studies said women had less ambition than men. And I thought that is not true. Absolutely not there has to be something else. And so as I dug and as I interviewed women across the country, as I looked at the research and as I looked into my own patterns, I realized that women and men have been socialized differently about power. And, you know, little boys come out of the womb knowing they own the world because they do. And that's the way it has been forever. And little girls are still socialized to think first about what other people think about us and how we look and how we present ourselves, and how we're making other people feel. And that puts the locus of power outside of ourselves. But more importantly, women have borne the brunt of so many negative aspects of power badly used. And badly used because the narrative of history has been about fighting and wars. And because mostly men had been writing the history, right? right. For many, 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 many <laughs> generations. And again, that is changing too, but not fast enough. And so there, it's our whole cultural concept about power is based in there being scarce resources, finite pie. If I take a slice, there's less for you. Well, in an economy that is now based on brains, not brawn, that is no longer true. 
we can always innovate. Human beings are infinitely creative. There's no limit to human intelligence or innovation or creativity. And women are now earning, have been earning 57% of the college degrees now for several decades. Which is very encouraging. Which is very encouraging. We've got the brain power. We've got the preparation. And we can innovate. We can create. And when I would suggest to women that they change how they're thinking about power from an oppressive idea of power over you to an innovative and creative and open idea of power as being the power to create, innovate, make life better for your family, your company, the world, I would see masks fall off of their faces. And they would say, well, I want that. So you asked me about how there came to be nine leadership power tools, and it's because I'm very practical. And once I had figured out that I needed to help women change how they were thinking about power so that they could embrace it fully and with confidence and and joy, I think there's joy in embracing your power in a positive way. And, you know, I'm practical. So I every chapter had a part of this is the reason why this happens. This is why women haven't reached parity. And every chapter then had, okay, this is why, and then this is what you can do about it. And so I called those, this is what you can do about it, power tools. And it was totally serendipitous that there turned out to be nine of them. But nine seems to be kind of a good number. And now it seems like everything I do is using the number nine for some reason. I mean, literally, I just wrote about all the things we had been able to accomplish at Take the Lead last year in spite of the, or this year, I should say, in spite of the pandemic. And there's nine. <laughs> there are nine. I'm like, what is this? It's the magic number. So there's no reason. And it's no, there's no logic to it. It just happened. And what's fascinating to me is, so when you apply this to manufacturing, right? Because I mean, our focus is on the manufacturing industry and supply chain logistics. It's such a male dominated industry, especially at the top levels. What advice would you give to women who are looking to break through those barriers? Well, the first thing is you have to look to break through those barriers. That's the first thing is you have to want to. What we do at Take the Lead is we help women break through the barriers that are in our own minds now. Because remember, men and women all are socialized in the same culture. So we actually have some of the same implicit biases about women and about ourselves and about our self-image that men do. So one of the things that I do is, is I like to make sure that people understand that implicit bias is, we all have them. We all have implicit biases. These are things that we don't even know we don't know or that we don't know that we think we know and they may not be real. But it does not do you any good to rail against what those other people are thinking about you. What is it that you're thinking about yourself and how do you want to present yourself to this world? So once we can take our power, the locus of power inside of ourselves, then we can have higher levels of intention about what we want to do with that power. Now, once we've identified what are the points of power that we uniquely bring, you know, what are those skills? What are those attributes? What's the knowledge? You know, whatever it is that you have, Linda, what do you bring that's unique that would help your company, that would help bring about better business practices or bring in more business to your company? What are the skills that you have? What's the knowledge that you have? And once you've identified that, then it can help you think to yourself, well, sure, I could lead that effort. Why not? Why not me? And I think one of the things that our culture has not 
told women, and maybe this is deliberate, is that in fact, you know, they keep telling us you can't have it all. The truth is, the higher you go, the more flexibility you have to control your work-life balance. That's so right. That's right. They don't tell you that, do they? No, because, you know... (laughs) <laughs> and, and you know what, Gloria, oftentimes I'll, when I'm talking to other women, they share that there's this, you know, imposter syndrome that is almost like it, it's like they're born with it, that men don't seem to have and that women are, you know, they don't feel inside that they can do the job. So I think that, I mean, you're really speaking to that. Exactly. And here's a little factoid for you, which is that almost as many men as women claim that they have imposter syndrome, but because they are socialized as they are socialized to believe they own the world from the moment they're born and that they have every right to do whatever they want to do. They disregard the imposter syndrome. They go ahead and, for example, if a man has two or three of the qualifications in a job description that asks for 20 qualifications, they will go ahead and apply. If a woman has two or three qualifications, she'll assume that she's not qualified and won't apply. She'll wait until she has 90% of the qualifications. And so that's another thing that is important to give women the, it's not just training, it's really having the understanding their own value and what they bring to the table and to be able to be willing to leverage that and to understand it and to understand that, you know, it's really okay if you apply for a job and you don't get it. That's okay too. Mm. But why not? You know, just like me. I mean, seriously, I broke out in hives for a month when I had my first executive director position (laughs) because I knew I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned on the job. And most people, and especially if you're already in a profession like supply chain or like, you know, like, like in the manufacturing industry, if you're already in a profession, you probably know a lot more than you think you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting, too, because it's almost like you have to deconstruct who you are to get rid of all those implicit biases that are so ingrained in us and part of our DNA by the time we're grown up. It's like you have to break it down and start over almost. It's true. And yet, here's something that I've noticed. And that is, and I've just noticed this lately, and I want to explore it more. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this or thoughts of anybody who's, who's listening just to, to let me know, drop me a note. But the data now is very clear that companies with more women in their leadership make more money. You know, the business case for having more women leaders, and I'm not saying women should be 100% of the leaders. What I'm saying is that basically having diversity around any decision-making table is going to result in more innovation and more creativity and generally speaking, better decisions because you get more perspectives. But women, the socialization that women have had, as it turns out, is now our superpower. That superpower is that because we haven't been the people in control we have had to learn to read the room better. If you add women to a group that has been all male in an executive group, Mm -hmm. it literally raises the group intelligence. This is not because women are inherently smarter. It's because the way we have been socialized necessitates our survival mechanism is that we are empathetic in the sense of being able to listen to people better than men do and to know what's going on, to be able to assess this is what they're saying, but this is what they're really thinking. 
And that's, it's not a skill you can just automatically learn. I think this is deep, deep socialization that has given women some leadership superpowers that we need to embrace and realize that we actually have those superpowers. So to some extent, that socialization and that implicit bias Mm -hmm. has shaped our brains in a way that we have skills that are now the most important skills in making a business successful. That's a great perspective on it. Now, all of this has led you to, I mean, obviously the book and your own experiences, but tell us a little bit more about Take the Lead Woman and the organization that you've created. Well, when I wrote No Excuses, almost immediately, people started asking me to teach workshops using it. And you mentioned that I teach a university level. So I've been teaching this one course that I created called Women, Power, and Leadership for some years. And so I had already been teaching some of these principles that I had in the book. And it wasn't that hard. I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll put a little workshop together. That'll be fun. Well, as soon as I did that, I started seeing women have incredible breakthroughs just from changing their thinking about power and giving them these few simple tools and tips that help them to navigate the world. You have to know how the game works in order to play it and be successful at it, right? So these leadership tools are not your typical leadership program that underlie the take the lead program. These are not, you know, you can learn how to do budgeting or strategic planning or any of those things in any number of places. That's not what we do. We help women have the kinds of thought processes and leadership thinking that enables them to be successful in the world as it exists while knowing they can change it. And one of the power tools is create a movement in which I teach women the three very simple, not easy, but very simple steps to make change, whether it is that you want your company to have more flex time or whether it is that you want legislation. I mean, it's this process works no matter what you are doing. You can change. This is, again, what I learned from the civil rights movement. You can change anything. People working together can change anything, but you have to know how to do it. You have to find people who have share your concerns. You have to have the courage to raise the issues in public. And you have to put all that together with a strategic plan, get your facts together, understand where the power centers are, and then start talking to them and making the change or create the circumstances where they can't get out of making the change. So that's really what we do. And then the third piece of it is that everyone who goes through one of our full nine leadership power tools training courses, because we also do shorter workshops. Oftentimes companies want us to do a shorter workshop or a webinar. So we do that too, but you can't do everything in an hour or an hour and a half. We can do the full program. Every woman in it creates her own strategic leadership action plan. She creates a goal that is measurable and that she has to be accountable for. And we check up to see if they're actually doing it. And so that I think is something that it sounds very simple, but so many training programs don't do that part of it. You know, just having information doesn't change behavior necessarily. Right. You have to get to the point where you actually say, well, this is how I'm going to use that information to do something specific. And so that's the overall program. So it's the changing the power paradigm, learning the nine leadership power tools, making a strategic leadership action plan for yourself And then when you go through these courses, inherently you form a cohort. So you've got all these relationships with the other women 
and they help support each other after it's over with. And we always provide some kind of a digital platform for them to stay in communication. We don't facilitate those, although we wish we had the money to do that with, but they have to keep that going themselves if they want to. And by and large, they do, even years, years later. I just noticed this literally before I signed on with you, that a woman who took the very first immersive full-out course that we did, which is now six years ago, had posted in her cohort's Facebook page that she was doing some kind of a workshop coming up and inviting everybody to join her. So they stay in touch with each other. They help each other. They hire each other. They sponsor each other. They support each other. And it's very gratifying. You know, I I have to say, this is what keeps me going. Yeah, absolutely. Right now you're offering these workshops in different ways that they can for self-improvement, but is the organization taking any stand or doing anything on a public level? We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization and we have not elected to lobby. So we don't do like, for example, grassroots organizing about issues. And we certainly can't be partisan in terms of electoral politics. But we definitely talk about issues. We have an award-winning blog and newsletter that is written by an extremely accomplished journalist, Michelle Weldon, who, you know, she writes informational pieces so that people can get informed and then make their own decisions about positions that they want to take. But we definitely try to keep people involved in those. And then we also do join efforts like the Equal Rights Amendment Coalition. Believe it or not, women are still not written into the United States Constitution. So we think it's high time for that. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So we definitely take stands on issues that are nonpartisan and we do that all the time. Yeah. And I can speak to Michelle Weldon. She's amazing. I took a uh, workshop from the op-ed project that she did and, you know, just helping women craft their storytelling skills so that they can have a voice and more of a voice. So, yes, which is exactly what you were doing. Yes. So we do that. And then I think the other important thing is that we know that women need role models. Mm -hmm. So we do provide a lot of free content in the form of the blogs and the newsletters and webinars and things like that so that we can show literally this is what you can be, this is what you can do, and this is how you can do it. And it's not just the famous people. It's, you know, women that you may not know about, but who are taking on roles and positions that can be very, very inspiring. And the last thing is that we believe that we want to shift the focus from the problems to a focus on the solutions. Mm, So that our thought leadership is all aimed at trying to help us make that shift. It's easy to talk about the problem. It's easy to complain that women aren't getting their equality in leadership, but let's do something about it. Let's let's keep ourselves in the mindset of what we do. And let me just say, here's why it's so important to think that way today, because the pandemic has set women back considerably. Women are have lost more jobs than men, and women are voluntarily, although it's not really voluntarily, stepping out of the workforce more for often than men. Yeah, exactly, for childcare and caregiving responsibilities. And so talk about something we take a stand on. I mean, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, parenting is a is not a one person job. <laughs> Right. Yet we're the ones that are taking a step back. Exactly. But it took two to make that child. So, you know, 
should take two to take care of that child when the child needs to be educated if they have to be educated at home. So those are the kinds of things that we take stands on. And now is just an incredibly important moment for you to be giving the messages that you're giving with your podcasts and for you to be providing that kind of inspiration and support to women in your industry, because these are tough times, but we'll get through it. And I don't want to see women get set back in their careers because they have had to be the ones forced out of the workplace. Yeah, exactly. Gloria, one last question I do want to ask you was it might be what's the best advice that you ever got or what's the best advice that you never took? (laughs) And how did that change you? Oh, my goodness. Well, the best advice I never took (laughs) is easy for me to say, which is listen to your gut. Ah, Okay. You know, when I don't listen to that little voice inside that's telling me I should do something or not do something. That's when I make my worst mistakes. When I stay too much in my head, too much in my logic, and don't listen to that instinct. And, it, you know, instinct is really learning that has been built up over time. And it's so integrated into yourself that you don't necessarily realize it. And so, I, you know, instinct isn't some magical thing. There's usually good learning behind it. And, and I know that the worst management and leadership mistakes I have made have always been when I haven't listened to that voice. I guess the best advice I have gotten, and I've had a lot of really good advice. I'm so grateful to the people who have seen more in me than I saw in myself and who pushed me to do more than I might have stepped up to do myself. But I would say that really the best advice I ever got was the importance of helping people let go of what they're worried about right now by thinking far enough out into the future that they can test back to what their personal mission in life is. And I see that happen in organizations all the time. And I think with the pandemic, there's going to be a lot of this, which is that you're so worried about how you're going to make payroll next week. You're so worried about the immediate problem that it's very hard to stay in tune with, but wait a minute, what's the vision for this work? What is it that I'm going to wish I had done five years from now? And you know, what's the focus that I need to keep my eyes on to keep myself moving toward that goal instead of just getting buried in the problems of today? And I know that's hard. Yeah. But it's probably the best advice I ever had, especially for leading large, complex organizations. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's wonderful advice. Wonderful. All right. Well, Gloria, we're at the end of the show. I feel like I could just stay on with you forever. (laughs) Just your insights are wonderful. And I just want to thank you. And I want to just encourage our listeners, if you would like to get more information about Gloria Felt and Take the Lead Woman, where should they go, Gloria? They should go to taketheleadwomen.com, taketheleadwomen.com. We are on all social media platforms, except we haven't quite gotten to TikTok yet, but (laughs) I'm trying to practice dancing, you know, (laughs) we are on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Take Lead Women and on Facebook and LinkedIn, we are at Take the Lead Women. And for myself, I am at Gloria Felt everywhere. I always love to hear from people and hear what you're thinking. So I really appreciated this opportunity to talk with you, Linda. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. And for audience, by the way, go out and get that book. No excuses. Nine ways women can change how we think about power. Definitely a book that we should be reading. So again, Gloria, thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners out there. We look forward to our next show. Stay tuned for more great stories with empowering women. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.